Good morning. Today's scripture is from Luke 2. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 32. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought him, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's like three days before Christmas. Is that, is that news to anybody? Is it like, glad I came. I knew I was forgetting something. <clears throat> Guessing probably not, but we're glad you're here. On this Lord's Day, and I, <clears throat> I think the last time I preached, I don't think we had our live streaming, and I'm just guessing on a day like today, there's probably people traveling, and so welcome to you that are here, and it's just good to be with the people of God. And we've decided as a church to celebrate Advent, <clears throat> and I remember as a kid growing up, the church tradition that I was in, we never talked about Advent, which isn't good or bad, it's just different traditions, and I really like the idea of Advent. The idea in Advent is it's it's as if we put ourselves historically into the context of the first century and the, the devout people of God were looking for come thou long expected Jesus. And, and then Jesus came and he was born and that's what we celebrate on Christmas. And then we, and this is one of the things I love about Advent, <clears throat> that we should, and it's only appropriate if we do this, that we then engage ourselves in what the church is supposed to be doing, and that is saying, saying the same thing. Come thou long expected Jesus. He's not finished. We're looking for his advent in glory that's yet to come, and that ought to be a part of advent, not only, boy, that was, that's, that's really cool what Jesus did in history, and it really, really is, but also, he's not going to do it again. He's going to do it in such a magnificent way that you can't wait for the day of the coming of the long expected Jesus. And neither can I. So that's what we're doing in Advent. We've used this song to kind of lead us along. And Mark's preached some great sermons the last couple of weeks. This week, my uh, task is to do the hope of all the earth thou art in good King Jamesian English. Uh, so, and I, I won't do that much more than just that. And, and what I want you to do is open your Bible to Luke 2, because that's where the text is that, we're, that I'm going to be uh, kind of working from. And I mentioned this normally when I preach. I wrote a manuscript. A lot of you have it. A lot of you like manuscripts. I don't follow manuscripts. And I've decided not to even apologize for that. I just don't. And I will follow the outline. And you can work your way through it. It has, you know, some of it relates to what I'm saying, I hope. Um, so anyway. You know, at Christmas time, if you're a church type person, you've been to Christmas plays. And there are certain, I call them icons that we have of Christmas time that just kind of go with Christmas. You know, they're, they're like shepherds. You know, if you see shepherds up here, and they're not real shepherds, 
just in case you're wondering, not usually. They're usually kids and they have these robes on, you know, but you know they're shepherds if it's around Christmas time because that's kind of the icon of Christmas. You have shepherds and sometimes they'll have some facsimile of a sheep or sheep or whatever. Um, and, and, and by the way, last summer in June, I went to Israel and I went to Bethlehem and I saw a field and there were some shepherds in that field keeping watch over their flock by light. And lo, a bunch of Americans came and kind of took pictures of them. Um, <clears throat> and it was because now at Christmas, it's like the thing comes to life. And by the way, we're taking another trip to Israel. I'm not going, but Dale Shaw is going to be leading. Stay over there. Yeah. And Sarah, we're going to be going. And it's this summer, and you still have, you, you can still get in on that trip. And that would be really cool if you could do that. But anyway, shepherds are one of those icons. Stars. Or a star, usually it's a star, which, um, you know, so, and we sing songs about stars, we sing songs about shepherds, we, uh, maybe there's even a donkey, which I don't think the donkey's in the text, but you know what, donkeys are welcome, you know, what was Mary doing, how'd she get down there? Because uh, actually I've taken the trip from, from Nazareth to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem, and I wouldn't want to walk it. But anyway, and then, then we have mangers. I mean, we still even have our manger here. See the manger over there? There's no sign that says manger. And I would bet if I polled you, virtually everyone would know that's a manger. And you would know the manger is, you wouldn't think, yeah, that's a manger. That's what animals eat out of. You would think that's where Jesus slept. That was his bed. And so it was. So here's, here's what I want to do this Christmas. You'll be so glad you came. <laughs> Is that I want to introduce, I want to announce. Like I'm going to make a proclamation. It's not angelic because I'm not that, but... So we'll say it's pastoral that we need to add a new icon to our Christmas litany of icons. And it's this. You ready for this? Those of you that are entrepreneurial, you can start a business this year or next year. And by next Christmas, you'll make dollars, you know, (laughs) Or, or maybe more. Who knows? Here's the new icon. The icon is a temple. So we need to add Christmas bulbs of temples. We need to put a temple out in our front yard, and you can put it next to the manger. That's all right. I mean, I'm not saying we get rid of our old stuff, although maybe we should get rid of it. If you read Luke's gospel and read it as if you're reading it for the first time, and you read the first chapter and the second chapter, and you're going to find the dominant whether it's icon or theme is temple. It's not manger. Manger's mentioned three times. Which is okay, I mean, that's, you know, that's better than none. Temple's all over the place. And temple begins in chapter 1, and and you have Zacharias, and some of you remember that story. For some reason, Zacharias may not be quite as catchy as shepherds. I don't know. And he's in a temple, and he's the one who's a priest, and and his son, John the Baptist, is going to be the forerunner of Messiah who's to come. And you probably remember that story. Come to chapter 2, and that's where our Christmas, traditional Christmas story comes by the way, chapter 1 is 80 verses long. It's not all temp. I think it's 80. Somebody else. Yeah, 80. And chapter 2 has got about 20 verses or 21 verses that are the story we're familiar with. You know, Caesar Augustus gives the charge that all the world should be taxed. And by the way, it's an important part of the Christmas story. And so Joseph and Mary come to Bethlehem and it talks about that real briefly. And it gives kind of this quick snapshot. And by the way, he was born. They put him in a manger. And then these shepherds came. And then the text we're going to deal with is right after that. It's in verse 22. And it goes back into a temple theme. The temple is crucial. So get ready, you builders and whatever. Get temples out there next year. If the price is right, I'll be in line for one. Actually, since it was my idea, it seems like I ought to get a part of the cut. 
Anyway, the temple, and here's the point of temple, and, and that's going to be one of my punches in this sermon, if, if punch is allowed. And that is the temple is the place of the presence of God on earth. And it has a great Old Testament tradition. As a matter of fact, if you start in Genesis, and it's fair to read it this way, and I could probably preach a whole sermon on that, Genesis starts out with a garden temple. The temple is the Garden of Eden. That's the location of God's presence on earth. Now, God's omnipresent. We know that. Some of us know that. And yet there's a sense in which his localized presence, his, the, the presence that people are able to grapple with was in the garden. You go to the book of Revelation at the very end, and temple is there again. Matter of fact, next week we've got some of our young guys are going to be preaching. And you'll see the temple in Revelation 21, and it says, There is no temple. Because God's the temple. His presence inundates the whole world, which is what we're praying for. Come thou long expected Jesus. Don't just come to a temple. Come to the whole world. It's joy to the world. So it starts with a temple, ends with a temple. If you read through the Old Testament, one of my favorite books I've read in the last couple of years deals with the temple motif in the Bible. And you remember how it goes. You go to, in in Exodus, we just went through a series in Exodus, and there was a tabernacle. The tabernacle is a portable temple designed to be moved. And the presence of God came to the tabernacle, and then you move ahead a little bit, and you get Solomon. And Solomon builds the temple that his dad wanted, David wanted to build, but couldn't. And it's this majestic temple and I think, we have a, I think we have a thing that just kind of gives you a little bit of a vision of what this temple looks like. It's, 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 it was grand. It was glorious. And I, I like to do my little, you know, stuff. So I, I, I don't want to disappoint anybody. And I know I do disappoint some people when I do this, but so what? <laughs> it's Christmas. Here's my... You see the temple? Oh, it came down. Here's my version of the temple, which... <laughs> there it is. Now, here's the beauty of this. These are Legos that my son, we gave to him for Christmas like a long time ago because he's not. And, 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 and you know what the beauty of Legos are? You can, you can build whatever you want with a Lego and call it whatever you want. Everybody says, oh, yeah, 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 temple, if you say so. The temple was where the presence of God was to come. Probably look more like that than like this. But my grandson would buy this as a temple if I sold it to him. I can guarantee you that. And... And, and then, then if you go on with the temple, Herod comes a little bit later on, the Herod of the New Testament, but it was before Jesus came. He renovated the temple. A pagan king comes in, and he does some pretty phenomenal things to that temple. And then Jesus comes, and in the story we're going to look at, the presence of God in Jesus comes into the temple, which is where the presence of God is supposed to be. And it's as if hardly anybody recognized him except for two people. And they're going to be our heroes in this sermon. One is Simeon, and that's who we're going to focus on. And Anna, I wish we could have gotten her in, but time. But, but you got, we want to put Anna in there too. And they saw the presence of God in this little baby. And then Jesus said a little bit later on, you know where the temple went from that temple? Jesus said, I'm the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll, I'll, I'll build it up. Remember that? And they, they were like, they, were, they thought that's absurd. Jesus, I'm the presence of God. Then Jesus went up to heaven, and you come to the New Testament, and Paul says the temple of God is us. We are the temple of God. And I think that's referring to the church corporate and us as individuals. The presence of God is to be seen in the world through us. We're the temple. 
And then you go into Revelation and God's the temple. We're praying, God, we're supposed to be your temple now, but come thou long expected Jesus and bring your presence to this world as we today are living out the reality of we are to be the presence of God in this world. So my sermon for this morning is going to look at Simeon, who's I think just a classic character in the New Testament. And, and, and here's, here's what I would like to suggest as kind of, I don't know if it's a title, but there's three steps that I think come really well out of this text for understanding our responsibility as being the temple of God in which the presence of God is mediated and realized to the world on Christmas 2013. Step number one is that we learn radical and serious obedience to the king is necessary to being the temple today. Now let's look at the text. And I know that was a little bit of a long introduction, but I'm hoping it helps to unfold the text. So in verse 22 it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses... Now, when you read through that, if you're like me, you read it really quick and then you go on to the next and you say, I, I, I want to I remember the shepherds because two verses earlier they got shepherds. And now it's getting into the more boring detail. And, and I want to argue it's not boring detail. I think it's focal and important detail. And it, it, it harkens back to the law of Moses, which is Old Testament stuff. And if you haven't recently read the law of Moses, maybe you haven't. I did because I was preparing for this sermon. And if you're a woman who gives birth... To a male boy, if you give birth to a male not boy, that doesn't work very well. To a male child, probably a better way to say it. Then you're unclean for seven days, and then you circumcise the boy on the eighth day. And I always cringe when I come to those texts. And then, according to the law, there's 33 days before you can come and offer a sacrifice for your purification. And so this text is bringing us ahead just a little bit. Jesus is a little bit over a month old. So if you do the math, 33 and 7, and I'm not sure where that, the eighth day of circumcision fits in there. So it's at least 40 days. And again, in my mind, I think, so this baby's a little over a month old, Jesus. In my mind, it's still the birth narrative. It's still when Jesus is a little baby. And so they're coming up into the temple, and they're going to obey the law of Moses. That's what Mary, and I assume Joseph was probably there, and Jesus was there. They were good Jews obeying the command of the Lord. And then it goes on. They brought him up to Jerusalem. And again, I, and I'm not gloating in this, but I was in Jerusalem this summer. Did, did, I, did I mention that? Um, and I walked up to Jerusalem, and it's like, it's literally, it's, it's on a hill, it's a mountain. You've got to walk up. And we did it a number of times, just because how many times do you get to walk up to Jerusalem? Uh, you better do it when you get a chance to. So they go up to Jerusalem. There were even steps that we walked up that, that most archaeologists think was probably in the first century at the time of Jesus. And we kind of walked. I see somebody shaking their head because they were there, we were there. It was, and I read this a little bit differently. So they're walking up, and they're going to present him to the Lord. There's two things going on here. One is that she comes, and, 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 and probably Joseph, they come to the temple, and they're going to offer sacrifice for the cleansing or the purification of Mary, but they're also bringing their firstborn baby, and if you read the Old Testament law, here's what you find. If you have a firstborn boy, then that firstborn boy is to be set apart to the Lord, and being set apart to the Lord means you have to buy him back or redeem him, and the redemption price I just studied this, that's why I know it. The redemption price is five shekels of silver. And I tried to find out what exactly that is in current currency, and I don't know. Um, 
But, but in any case, it was, it was what you were to do to redeem your firstborn. And, and, and by the way, in that redemption thing of firstborn, if you had animals, you know what you did with the firstborn of your animals? You killed them. And, and, and you know what some of the pagans did with their firstborn to their God? They literally killed them. That's talked about in the Old Testament. Moloch was one of those gods who they would fire up his arms of the image and they would put their babies on there to die. And I cringe and say, you see, here's the beauty of Judaism in a number of different ways, not the least of which is they had a redemption price for their babies. Pay five, don't, don't go killing your baby. Buy them back. And you know why the purification? I mean, I thought about this. I think being a mother is one of the coolest things Frankly, I'm glad I don't have to do it, but I'm really glad that there's a group of people in the world that were are to do it. Aren't you? I mean, come on, mothers, that's a good thing. And, and why would you be impure or need to be purified when you did the motherly thing? It's like, no, you need to be praised. Let me tell you why, at least part of why, and that is, moms, I love you, but you're sinners. And so are your husbands, and so are dads, and so are all of us. And you know what you reproduce? You reproduce sinners. That's what sinners do. And there is a reality that we need, and I think that's the picture of the Old Testament. We moms, we kids, we dads, we all need purification that comes external to ourselves. The Old Testament's a sacrifice. And isn't it ironic that they come into the temple and they're obeying the law of God... And Mary offers, or is going to, we'll see later, a sacrifice for her own purification. And then she redeems Jesus. And I ask this question. Did Jesus need to be redeemed? The Redeemer gets redeemed. It's ironic, isn't it? It's good Christmas stuff. Yeah. Because you see, here's what Jesus decided that he was going to do. And it was was God, the triune God, in eternity past said, we're going to come and redeem our people We're going to bring redemption to the world. And Jesus is going to take on the form of humanity. He's going to fully obey the law of God. And then when he comes, the day when, you know what? He actually does become a sacrifice, doesn't he? He's the only begotten son of God. And he does die as God's only begotten son. And he's one that dies not because he deserved it, but he died on our behalf. And so that redemption is as if Jesus saying, I'm I'm associating with you. Jesus couldn't even talk then. But his mother takes him, redeems him, offers her sacrifice, fulfills the law. She was tenaciously obedient. And the text goes on and describes that in verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, little subnote, kind of a Christmas gift that I'll add to the sermon. The law of the Lord and the law of Moses, are they the same or are they different? It's like I say in first service, you're not allowed to talk, are you? It's like you got to be... They're the same. So what does that mean? That means when Moses wrote, he wrote what God wrote, right? It means that when you read Moses, you're reading a word from God. It means when you open up your Bible, if you think you're reading anything other than a word of God, then that text doesn't make any sense at all. I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe you didn't. Anyway, and here's what it says in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And the redemption price, buying that one Back was five shekels of silver in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. And the sacrifice was a pair of turtle doves. I thought of bringing those in for a visual aid today and let them fly around, you know. 
I just don't think that would work. Anyway, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And if you read the Old Testament law, you find that if you got bucks, you bring a lamb. If you don't got bucks, then you go get some pigeons. <laughs> we were in New York City the other week visiting grandkids. And my three-year-old didn't care about the Empire State Building. He wanted to chase the pigeons. And I'm like, get these pigeons out of here. Because there's just a boatload of them. So you just grab a couple pigeons and go to the temple and say, here's, here's what I got. They were tenaciously committed to obeying God because they believed in the reality of God. Let me, punch, let me bring this home just a little bit more. You know, if you put yourself in Mary's place, and I know some of you have thought through this before. You're Mary, you're pregnant, you've never known a man, so you're the first one of those kind of people on earth. And, and maybe our biology is more sophisticated than theirs, but they weren't stupid. <laughs> so when Mary says, you know what, to her friends, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I, 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 I never was immoral. And they're like, nah, yeah, I've heard that story before, Mary. They say, well, no, 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 wait a minute. An angel told me. And so it's like, I mean, it's like you're digging the hole deeper, right? <laughs> it's really, believe me, I didn't do that. And believe me, an angel, and I, and I think most people, as a matter of fact, when you read further in the gospel narratives, you'll find that, that even when Jesus was older, he was still accused of being an illegitimate son. So they, they kept throwing that at him. And frankly, if you come up and tell me that story today, and I'm going to say, boy, we, we got some counseling people that really probably need to deal with you. So she lived out, I know truth, and yet I live in a world that doesn't. And, and so I'm supposed to obey. It just doesn't seem convenient. I even imagine when she went into the temple, she's probably kind of looking back thinking, boy, I hope nobody recognizes me because I'm, you know, I'm just, most people are going to think that I'm this, this immoral woman. And really, that was anything but the truth. Her commitment to obedience was such that the circumstances didn't matter. She was going to do what God called her to do. And church, if God is real, and if on this Christmas day we want to be the temple that reflects the glory of God, we need to be tenaciously willing to obey God. And and I know this of my own heart, and I know this of a lot of you guys, that we have hearts that are prone to wander. We have people that on Christmas Day, their hearts are not with their family. They're with someone else. We have kids. And I'm glad the kids are in the service this morning. And social media, it's like beautiful and horrible, isn't it? I'm not sure what all the beauty is. I do know some of the horror of it because I've heard it even recently. And how this, you know, these chatting things and all these different media that just brings our young people temptations. Young people, can I say this? Be tenaciously committed to obeying God because God is real and you're the temple of the Spirit of God. That's, that's what you are. And then when I get done talking to the kids, and I see several of them here, then I want to talk to your parents and say you need to set the stage for your young people by saying we as a family are committed to the obedience of Jesus and it doesn't matter. Well, now, I don't mean that you decide to be these really squirrely, funky people that are like, we're Christians and we're really weird. But we're Christians and we really believe in the reality of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to give our lives for that. And watch us, kids, as we lead. Yeah. And if you need an example, go to Mary. Mary, you know what her Christmas gifts were? I mean, like, she, all she could do was turtle doves and pigeons. It wasn't as though she had this... I mean, what was her Christmas feel? Her Christmas feel, she's sitting in a manger, and then she comes to the temple because that's what obedient people do. 
They come and worship God and then their life reflects the glory of God and they're obedient to God. And I find that intriguing, just that little snippet of what Mary did at the beginning of the story. So if you want to be the temple of God, you're seriously, you're, you're serious about being obedient to him. Secondly, and now this gets into Simeon, you're also patient in perseverance. And, you know, Christmas is the greatest time to be patient, isn't it? I remember as a kid, my parents, I hardly ever went into their bedroom. But I knew at Christmas, you're not supposed to go into their bedroom. And you know what? If you're not supposed to go into their bedroom, then you want to go into their bedroom. And then you hear why. It's because, hey, you know, there's Christmas gifts in there. You'll get them on, on Christmas Day. And then I'm like, I don't want to wait. I just don't. That idea of waiting is a horrific term for most Americans. It just doesn't work. Fast, 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 fast. Did you go to Castleton yesterday? All right, true confession. How many went? I think you were all there at Castleton because we went there and it was like everybody in the whole world must have been there. And, 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 you know, one of the problems is you get in the line and the line goes on forever and ever. And I thought this is a great way to celebrate Christmas. Waiting for the long expected, I'm going to go buy this Christmas gift. Well, look at this text in verse 25. It says now, and now is a nice introductory transition word. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, not a priest, doesn't seem like. He lived in Jerusalem. I like that city. His name was Simeon, which by the way, I I also want to argue, you you entrepreneurial guys that are already dreaming of how you're going to build temples and sell them next year. Um, add another thing to your icon. Add a, add a statue or something of, of Simeon. You know, have lights that flash around and that you can stick in your front yard. And again, if it's priced reasonably, I'll put one in my front yard. Simeon, we need Simeons in our front yard. You know, we put shepherds in our front yards and they're not even named. We put wise men in our front yard who weren't even at the manger and they're not named either. Some people have conjured up names. Here's a guy that is named, and in biblical literature, when somebody's named, that's significant. His name is Simeon. He comes on the scene about 30-plus days after Jesus is born. This man, Simeon, and his resume is this. It's a threefold resume in College Park. Would to God that we had a resume like him. It says this. His name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. <laughs> this Christmas, how many of us... Could it be said of, because if you say it about yourself, that doesn't work. It could be said of you that you're righteous and devout. And I think there's a whole lot of Old Testament that goes into righteous and devout, and and it would be fun to wrestle with that. It at least means this, that he understood that he was a sinner. He understood that he needed righteousness, and he had come to grips with the one who brings righteousness to him. And then he lived it out as a devout person, a follower of the way that you come to righteousness through, in his context, I think, is the anticipation of Messiah. He was devout and righteous. Then the next resume context is this. He was waiting. Waiting is one of those ING words. They call them participles, just when you're sophisticated. So that, remember participles? There's another little Christmas thing. And it's a participle, which is an action adjective. It means this, and it's an action adjective that just kind of keeps going on. He's waiting, 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 waiting. Don't you hate that? <laughs> and then waiting and waiting. And apparently it was an older man waiting and waiting. And I have to believe there might have been a day when he wondered, am I waiting in vain? Because I've been waiting for a long time. Here's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
He's waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for the kingdom. He's waiting for the completion of his hope that this one would come who would resolve the problems of the world and would bring salvation to his people. That's who he was waiting. Good concept to wait for, right? The kicker is waiting. The bummer is waiting, it feels like. Then look at the third thing. And this one's one that really does blow my mind. He was devout. He was waiting And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, if you've studied your Bible a little bit, you know that 33 or so years later, the Holy Spirit is going to descend on the day of Pentecost. And so this is kind of Old Testament economy. And a lot of people have written a lot of books on how did the Old Testament, how did the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament? Good question. That's, that's several lectures and sermons long to deal with that. Let me tell you this, that this guy knew God because God's Holy Spirit had come upon him. And it influenced his life. It radically affected his life. And I ask us today, we have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit because we are the church, because Pentecost did happen, because Paul says the Holy Spirit dwells within us. When we, when you gather in assembly, do you feel or sense that the Holy Spirit is upon you or not? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Has the Holy Spirit ever been upon you? Well, if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is what God says we are. The Holy Spirit is upon you. The question is, does that ever get manifested in your life? Man, I find that intriguing. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he found this out in verse 26. He had been revealed by him, to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And, and that word Christ is a good Greek word that translates a Hebrew word, Messiah. And, and some of the newer translations have inserted the word, the Lord's Messiah. I love that. It's a good translation. Um, he was saying, and here's what it's saying, that your life is going to be dedicated to anticipating the long-expected Christ, the Messiah, and that you will experience the beauty of that Messiah before you die. Or another way of saying that it is, your life is going to be complete because you've come into interaction with the one who is complete, and that's Jesus, or that's the Messiah. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And you know, church, if we're going to be the temple of God, we've got to be tenacious in our obedience to God. We've also got to live out perseverance. And I know some of the people in our church, I just heard this week that Frank Malik, he's in my Sunday school class, that he was diagnosed in advanced stage of cancer. And now he and his family are going to walk that long journey that many of you have walked. And you're going to ask the question, and you should ask the question, so God, are you real? I mean, really. All right, Christmas, let's sing about stars. But are you really real? And the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the people who see what the world can't see are going to look at those kind of circumstances, and they're going to say, I can walk this journey because of Christ. I can persevere. And I don't persevere because I I like what's happening, but I persevere because there's a bigger picture in mind, like Simeon was able to persevere. Now, I I have no idea what 2014 is going to have, but I tell you what, a church our size, we're going to have our fair share of people who, if we're going to reflect the glory of God, we're going to persevere in some hard stuff. We are. Merry Christmas. And if you persevere in the hard stuff and say, okay, I made it through that, you persevere in the hard stuff because you know what the end is. You know what the, you, you, we're still singing, come thou long expected Jesus. And I believe you're coming and you're going to fix the wrongs. You're going to raise the dead. That's the kind of stuff you're going to do. 
there's some of us, now it's been a long year of struggling with temptation. I don't know if any of you struggle with temptation. Actually, I do know that you do struggle with temptation. And I know that some of you have prayed, Lord, take the temptation away. I prayed that. And here's what God says. My, my grace is sufficient for you. And, 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 and here's what, one of my, one of, one of the favorite books of my life is a book by Eugene Peterson. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Get that for Christmas. <laughs> That the, the, the Christian life is not this quick snap, let me have it, I'm fine, I'll be fine forever. It, it's that I'm patiently waiting for the consummation of the coming of Messiah. And that's the way I live. And the world looks at the church and says, man, you guys, there must be... They, they might not say this, but they would see the evidence of the Holy Spirit as we endure the death of 10-year-old babies or 10-year-old boys in our church. And, and you can go on and on and on with the stories The church of Jesus Christ is a group of people who, because of that long-expected Jesus, were obedient, tenaciously obedient. We persevere. And then the third point, frankly, this is my favorite point. And here's the way I think I titled it, although you can look at the manuscript and see if it's true. That we ought to live, our church ought to live like Jesus is not just a concept, but that he's reality. That we come to Christmas 2014 and Jesus isn't just, huh, he's kind of cool. I mean, it's Christmas after all. Aren't, aren't you upset with those people that, that say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas? I mean, so let's, let's add, we got to get Christmas in. And for some of us that say Merry Christmas, it's a concept. And the beauty of the reality of the church is concept becomes reality. Look at how it, it's fleshed out in this text. Uh, in verse 27, it says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, look at verse 28, and he took him up in his arms and he blessed God because the concept of Messiah was now reality. We, for a while in our family, when our kids were a little bit younger, we kind of cultishly, frankly, watched the Christmas story we didn't, we didn't watch it all day long. I know I'm some... And maybe some of you don't even do the Christmas story, which is fine, because it's not really the Christmas story. It's about... Isn't Ralphie the guy? Any you guys ever heard of it? Yeah. It's this illustration. It, Ralphie was this little kid, and, and, it's, and, and he's a little kid that had this great dream that he wanted to get a BB gun, and it was a red... Red, red Ranger. Thank you. I, I need help. Red what? Rider, I'm sorry. Yeah, Red Rider. We've got to get it right. This is a sermon. It's a Red Rider BB gun. And, you know, if you, if you watch that, I mean, he dreamed that he was, like, out conquering the, all the bad guys. I mean, you remember, he's, he's shooting them. They're all just falling like flies. Christmas comes, no red whatever gun. And so at the end, he got some nice stuff, and he's like, and then his parents had tricked him, you know, and so the red gun is, which really wasn't red, it's behind something, pulls it out, and concept turned into reality. And then he shot his eye out. You know how that ends. Eh, probably appropriate. And I remember as a kid growing up in my con... I remember I, remember I wanted a Johnny Unitas uniform because Johnny Unitas is the best quarterback at that time ever because I didn't know Peyton was coming. And I, did, I mean, I was little. I didn't know Andrew Locke, you know, it's like... And, so, and then I got a Johnny Unitas uniform and it was not just the jersey because they didn't do jerseys. It was everything, shoulder pads, the whole bit. 
man, in a helmet. I thought I was really cool. And then as an adult, I look back at it and it was a number 12. And for those of you that are indoctrinated, Johnny Unitas' number was not 12, it was 19. Thank you for a few true historians of folklore. But I didn't even notice it until I was an adult and looked at the picture. I didn't really have Johnny United, but I thought it was. Concept had turned to reality. Here's what happened to Simeon. And I've got one more visual aid since it's Christmas. We ought to have an abundance of visual aids. And I took this from a box. And it's going back in the box because it's going to our 11-month-old baby girl granddaughter, Alex. It's the first baby doll we've given her. Aren't you impressed? Come on, that's pretty cool. So Simeon, and I've always wanted to do this. Simeon is at the temple waiting and waiting and waiting. And Joseph and Mary, I think Joseph, they come up and they bring Messiah. And he takes in his hand and he holds up the Messiah, the hope of all the world. And he glorifies God because concept had turned into reality. Jesus isn't just this nice story. Jesus is real. And then watch how the text goes. I always wanted to do that, you know. (laughs) Don't tell Alex. (laughs) I also figured at her age, she won't know that we taped the box back together and all that stuff. Yeah, she'll miss all that. Here's what Simeon says. Verse 29. He holds Messiah in his hand and concept turned to reality. Then he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in shalom, in peace, according to your word. He said, I've come face to face with the one who brings peace. And peace wasn't just to defeat the Romans. Peace was this all-encompassing reality of what Messiah does, and that is makes the wrong in the world right, that is transforms the world, and the people who are the temple of God know the reality of God, and he isn't just a nice little story. He's actually here to transform and radically change the world such that peace becomes reality, not just a concept. That's that's what Jesus is after. (laughs) Matter of fact, that's what Simeon saw and, and, and to me, he also says, I can depart. I remember 10 years ago in June, my mom died. And, and some of you were around back in the day when my mom was here. She was a church member. And, and many of you have had your parents die. And when your parents die in the Lord, which those of us that are believers, that day is coming if the Lord doesn't re- return. So be singing, come thou long expected Jesus either for your death or for the day when he returns. And I remember her dying in peace. It doesn't mean it was an easy death, but it means this. And to me, the character of your life or the reality of your life is going to be determined in your death, isn't it, on some level? And at the end, and here's what Simeon said, it wasn't so much, okay, kill me. It was more like, I have experienced the fullness of reality because I've experienced the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And here's what I long for College Park, that we be a group of people that the concept of Jesus becomes so real that we're people of shalom. We're people who would say, 
that we've experienced and we live out the peace of God so that as we struggle with sin in our life, you know, you know what? You struggle with sin in your life and you ought to say, God, that doesn't bring shalom. That brings disorder to life. Struggle with anger? We did a series on that so nobody struggles with anger anymore. We're doing a follow-up series in January just in case. <laughs> and, you know, we can laugh about all that stuff, but here's what the church is. It's a group of people who have wrestled with obedience. They've wrestled with perseverance, and then they stand up as we are the temple of God, and we're proclaiming the glory of God to the world, and we do it as we proclaim shalom and peace. Yeah, that sounds Christmas to me. And then it goes on in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Two huge words. Shalom or peace and salvation. He's, he's holding this baby. And he says in this baby is the hope of all the world. And it's the one that brings salvation. And whether you're a Christian or not. You got to believe the world needs to get saved. Something's really, really wrong. I remember when I was five years old, and it wasn't at Christmas or the story would be cooler, but it, I was five. My dad told me the plan of salvation in the way that you would tell a five-year-old. Pretty simple. And he said, you're a sinner. I was like, yeah, you figured it out, didn't you, Dad? Because <clears throat> I'd figured it out. And that you're in need of a Savior. And I don't remember exactly how he said it, but in the end of the day, it was like, you need to, in faith, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I remember as a five-year-old, I don't remember a lot of the detail. I remember going back to my bedroom and, and, and going to bedrooms, all that stuff. That's not the point. The point is this. Jesus moved from concept, because I grew up in a Christian family. And for a lot of you young people here, my prayer is that God, Jesus isn't just, hey, you hear it in Sunday school and you hear it. And not just for kids, but how many of us as adults, we play that Christian game. And for me, it moved from a concept of Jesus to reality. He's my savior. And, and that reality isn't just so I got a ticket to heaven. That reality is the all encompassing. Jesus is the one who I with my life must live for because I'll live for him who died for me. And you know what? You may be here. It's two days, three days before Christmas. I don't know what you're going to get for Christmas. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure how much I care what you're going to get for Christmas. That sounds uncaring, doesn't it? I hope you get really good stuff. I hope you get really cool stuff or whatever. But I can tell you what, it all pales. It all pales. Pales to the point of where it has no color at all compared to the reality of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a believer, boy, I tell you what, the best, the greatest thing you could experience this Christmas is this God. You must, you wouldn't be here if you didn't think there was some concept of Jesus. It turns to reality And he becomes the savior of your soul. (laughs) And for those of us for whom that is reality, let's act like it. Really. Not just playing the game. I come to church every Sunday. Yeah, we got a big church. But that God is so real that every minute of your life is inundated with the glory of that real God. There's your goal for 2014 and today and tomorrow. Third thing he says, verse 31. Not only is it shalom and peace, not only does this Messiah bring salvation, but you have that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, the church, if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
If we're the temple of God, not only do we obey him, not only do we persevere, but we realize that that God is on a mission. You know God's on a mission? And it's a mission of reality. And the mission of reality is that his glory would not get stuck in a box here in Indianapolis, but that his glory would cover Carmel and it would cover Fishers and would cover Noblesville and would cover Indianapolis and Indiana and the United States and his glory would cover the Far East Asia and it would cover the earth like the water covers the sea and if God is real, is he? If Je- Thank you. If Jesus is real, then we didn't give enough money yet. <laughs> and I'm not just trying to appeal that we give more money. But did you give money like Jesus is real? Do we live like Jesus is real? Because Jesus is after the proclamation of his glory to the ends of the earth. And when we sing, come thou long expected Jesus, part of that is, and we need to get up and start to proclaim the glory of that long expected Jesus. And a part of the way to do that, yeah, we support translate. I mean, how no-brainer is it to support a translation of the Bible? Maybe that's condescending. I don't mean that. But I mean, really? (laughs) And, and maybe even more than that, we have people in our church that commit themselves to the proclamation. And I don't think it's all of us, but it's certainly some of us in 2014 are going to knock on Nate's office door and going to say, you know what, Jesus is so doggone real that I'm giving my whole life to him. Or maybe my kids are. And when we're struggling with temptation, we'll say, Jesus is so real that my allure to stuff, my desire to lust, my selfish soul that wants more stuff. Jesus is more real than that. And so I give my life to him. You know, that's what I'm going to do. That's what, when Simeon held him up, he said, concept is now reality. And if it is reality, all of life is different. All of it. In my prayer on Christmas, I pray, I pray you have a really, really good day on the 25th. I'm, I'm planning on that. And I pray more than that, that we, the people of God, who are the temple of the Spirit of God, would live out the reality of God. And that that would reverberate this auditorium, this sanctuary, this city, this world, for God's glory. And then I think we would say, Amen. Merry Christmas. Father in heaven, I thank you for Simeon. Lord, I knew of him, and yet this study of him has just, it's enlivened my heart to love you more. A guy who, I think he knew the reality of Jesus, and yet when he came face to face with him, and and even then it was eyes of faith, Lord, because you were just a little baby then, and he saw what that little baby would do to be the one who was the consolation of Israel and the hope of all the nations. So, Lord, my prayer for me and for College Park this year, this season, this day, is that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, and that when people see us, they would see God, and they would see it in our lives on a daily basis as we go wherever we go, that that glory of God would spread just like our cars go around the town and our feet walk in the city, and they would see it by our church's manifestation of 
boy, there's something about that church because they actually care about an unreached people group and they're tangibly willing to go after the spread of the glory of God around the earth like the water covers the sea. Lord, we pray that we would have the heart of Simeon. And Lord, if there's some people here that don't know you as their Savior, may this be the day where concept turns to reality. Bring them to yourself. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. College Park, have a great Christmas in light of the fact that Jesus is unbelievably real. Thank you.